Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Wharton FinTech Podcast. I'm your host, Anirudh Singh. Our guest today is Christina Melas Kiriazi. Christina joined Bain Capital Ventures in 2021, where she focuses on early stage investments in fintech and commerce. She was previously head of product for Consumer Foundations at a firm, where she led a team of product managers to enable a delightful, frictionless customer experience from account creation to loan servicing. Before a firm, Christina was a senior product manager at GoFundMe, where she worked on growth in new product areas. Christina is an active angel investor and an advisor to early stage companies. She has an MBA from Harvard Business School and a BA in economics from Stanford University. In today's episode, we discuss being at a firm as a company IPOs, her whirlwind career at BCV, and helping founders go from zero to one. Hope you enjoy the show. Uh, so, Christina, hi, and thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Uh, it's an absolute honor having you here. How are you doing, and uh, where are you calling in from? I am doing great. I am calling in from San Francisco, where the fog just rolled out, so it's a beautiful day. There you go. Uh, nothing better. Uh, so let's just jump right into it. For listeners who might not know, uh, could you provide an overview of your career to date and how you became involved in fintech and financial services? Yeah, sure. So... I went to Stanford for undergrad, and after school, I decided to work in investment banking at Goldman Sachs. So I spent about two years there, you know, typical analyst program, and I liked finance, but I really wanted to learn how world-class companies were built. So I came back out to the Bay Area, and I decided to join LinkedIn. And LinkedIn was a really great entry point to tech because it had benefited from the hyper growth of social networks, but also had three different business models. And I worked in a biz ops role, partnering closely with product. You know, after LinkedIn, I caught the startup bug and I interned at a company that was just getting off the ground called Shift, which was building a better way to buy and sell used cars. And in that period of time, I saw it go from zero to 30 employees and ship a first product. Still really close to the founders, George Arison and Minnie Ingersoll, who were great mentors to be. And then after that, I went to HBS to get my MBA. And it was really in business school that I started becoming more interested in fintech. Wences Caceres, the founder of Zappo, actually came into a class in 2014. And, you know, I'll never forget this moment. He was like, Bitcoin is the Internet and it's 1992. And you should really pay attention to this. You know, why is it that you can see someone on Skype anywhere in the world, but you can't send that person a penny? And I realized there was just still a lot left to solve in financial services and money movement in general that impacts every single person in the world with many broken parts. So I came back out to the Bay Area with the goal to join a company, ideally in fintech, where I could contribute and learn a lot. So I ended up at GoFundMe and then at a firm on the product side, uh, which you know I think we'll get into. Yeah, it's an amazing journey. And I want to ask a little bit more about the decision to join GoFundMe after your MBA. I'm currently with a lot of students right now that are trying to figure out where they want to go after school, uh, especially, uh, you know, have a few options among startups. How did you go about deciding that GoFundMe was the right path? I'm sure you had a couple of options on the table. Yeah. So I really wanted to join a company that was growing quickly uh, with a mission that I really loved and a team I could work, I could learn a lot from. And so, you know, GoFundMe ended up checking all of those boxes. And I I talked to a lot of companies and GoFundMe was really a storytelling platform with a payments layer. And one of the reasons I love this wave of FinTech growth is this innovation and distribution. And for GoFundMe, there were really, you know, a, a few key enabling trends, 
you know, one, that powerful stories could reach the masses on social media, you know, two, that now, you know, payment providers like PayPal or Stripe or Adyen made it really easy to accept payments online. And three, that healthcare costs are rising and more and more people were lacking social safety nets uh, that they used to have like churches. So all these things led to an explosion of growth, you know, for GoFundMe. And, you know, I felt like I could learn a lot and contribute there. And so, you know, at GoFundMe, I, I worked on acquiring a company in the charity fundraising space. And I worked on launching growth-related products like team fundraising and international expansion. Got it. And then similar question for, for joining a firm eventually, uh, which obviously, you know, worked out pretty well for you. Uh, how did you initially, what initially excited you about the opportunity to join a firm? So this is interesting. So going kind of back to my time at, at GoFundMe, while I was there, I it, it made me really deeply understand and empathize with this user who was really underserved by our financial system, you know, who didn't have enough savings in their bank account, say when their car breaks down unexpectedly or when they need to pay a medical bill or when they need to buy a mattress when they move. And, you know, it turns out that's around 25% of America. And this was one of the customer segments that a firm was targeting. And so, you know, this person desperately needed, you know, not only fundraising tools, but just access to better financial products. And so I had actually talked to a firm after my MBA, um, and I, I didn't end up joining them then. But I met again with the head of product at the time, you know, Jack Chow, who's a great product leader. And he was like, look, we're about to step on the gas, come join. And I, I just said, okay, I'm, I'm not going to miss it this time. So then I ended up joining a firm. Yeah. And it, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you joined uh, in one of their later investment rounds right before, uh, right before it blew up, as, as you said, stayed on during the pre-IPO period, stayed on uh, for the IPO and then for a bit after the IPO. Uh, which is an incredible experience, I'm sure. Can you talk a little bit about that and what that time period was like with the company? You know, just high level on a firm. A firm really figured out how to leverage new distribution channels, so the the merchants or the retailers, to give someone a micro loan at the point of sale. You know, before a firm, you couldn't just go and give someone a thousand dollar loan because it would have been too expensive to acquire that customer. But retailers started to realize that this changed their business because customer customers would pull forward their purchases and buy more when they had access to credit. And so then that made the retailers willing to pay and subsidize interest on the loan. And then all of a sudden you can make the economic model work. Um, and so when this became a thing, it really started to explode. And when I joined, it was around 400 people. And by the time I left, it was over 2000. And so to double more than twice in a period of three years was an incredible task. I mean, how do you keep the bar high for hiring? How do you organize the team? How do you rethink the processes for information sharing and transparency in a company where, you know, transparency is a core value and a core part of the mission statement? But what you can share with everyone when you're 400 people is really different than when you become a public company. So in that period of time, we underwent a lot of change. But one of the things that actually never changed about the company was the mission. And the mission really drove the culture. Every single person who was there felt very compelled by the mission of building for honest financial products that improve lives. And it really permeated every single thing we did from top to bottom. 
And Max Levchin was just a really inspiring leader, and I, I give him a ton of credit for that. We also had this interesting culture of, you know, we're not there yet. So Max was really adamant every time we raised money, saying this is not a milestone or something to celebrate. It was always like onward and upward. So even after you know we IPO'd, I think we took one morning off, you know, to celebrate. But even then, we were like, okay, back to work. You know, we have a lot to build for our users. Yeah, that's incredible. One uh, additional question on a firm is just correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm, I believe most of the company's revenue comes from the retailers themselves. And I imagine that was difficult to convince retailers early on in the company's journey that working with a firm would actually benefit them. Is that fair? I mean, just like this concept of helping consumers at the point of checkout was kind of new. Did you see that at all when you were with the company? And how did you guys work through that? So I think in the early days, when the team was really iterating on the exact product, it was just totally new to retailers. It was a concept that they didn't understand. But as soon as we you know, found a way to get them to try it out, and there were many different strategies that we used, including you know, finding ways for light touch integrations, et cetera, people saw the impacts to their business. And then that just eventually spread. So I think, you know, one segment that I actually spent a lot of time on was our merchant products and APIs. And so that was the team, you know, that I joined when I first joined the company. And so I spent a lot of time thinking through our merchant integration and ways to deepen our merchant value and stickiness, especially in enterprise. And so in enterprise, those retailers have custom built e-commerce platforms and often really unique needs. And this is, you know, as opposed to the longer tail of like D2C or mid-market merchants on Shopify or other e-commerce platforms, you know, where we had more of a, a plugin that was more straightforward to enable. And so we ended up thinking pretty differently about those segments. And I worked with customers like Target, Wayfair, Samsung, Walmart, et cetera, to really try and, you know, deepen our penetration across those merchants. Very cool. And uh, I want to soon switch uh, from your career as an operator to your career as an investor. Uh, but before I do that, just curious if there's you know one accomplishment that comes to mind for you that you're most proud of at your time, either at a firm or, or at GoFundMe. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, you know, at a firm, I was always someone that raised my hand to take on anything. You know, it, I very much had this mentality of whatever the company needs. And so, when COVID hit, you know, we didn't know how long it was going to last or what it was going to be like. And so we had an urgency and priority in strengthening the foundational components of our business and product, you know, helping customers repay flexibly and managing the back book, for example. So, you know, I kind of raised my hand and uh, shifted to the foundational side of the product and ended up quickly building a team across servicing, fraud, identity, user journey, repayment, account management, et cetera. And I really loved my team and, and I'm really proud of, of sort of the team and the culture that we were able to build. And, and more broadly, the, the product team at a firm was just a group of incredible people that I learned so much from. Yeah, I mean, that time period of when COVID initially hit is a great opportunity for a lot of fintech firms to step up. So um, really cool story you, you shared there. Uh, so let's let's talk about that switch that you made then from being an operator to an investor. And uh, how did you you know initially decide that making that switch was right for you? Yeah, it's a great question. So, you know, I wasn't trying to become a full time investor. 
I was a pretty active angel investor. I had made, you know, 20 something investments and I just felt myself getting more drawn in that direction. I've always had a little bit of intellectual ADD and love working on a number of different problem spaces. And so I just naturally got to know the team at BCV and built this conviction that the parts I love most about, you know, in, investing or at least at the angel side, working closely with founders, going from zero to one on product. As an investor, I could have a platform to do that at scale. Yeah, and I'm sure, you know, from your experience in the early days at GoFundMe to your IPO experience at a firm, you bring a lot to the table for the startups that you're working with. Are there any key lessons learned that you had with your time as an operator that you think you can bring to the table when you're investing? I think, you know, for me, I love, like I said, the zero to one phase of product building. So I love partnering with founders at that phase where you can move really fast and think deeply about the users and their needs and building the most delightful solution for them. And I think in the areas that I um, you know, am investing in within fintech and commerce, you know, fintech has a lot of regulations. So you want to move fast, but you also can't just break things. You know, and it's a world where knowledge matters a lot. And so I want to be someone who can help founders see around corners. I spent time thinking with, you know, working with merchants, e-commerce retailers, platforms, banking partners, and I understand how they think about something. So for early stage founders, I think those things are helpful. But also one thing I learned from a firm in particular is just the power of being a mission-driven company. And I want to back the next you know generation of mission-driven, passionate founders solving really hard problems. Yeah. So you mentioned earlier joining a firm because you empathize with users that uh, weren't well-served in the financial system. You've mentioned going from zero to one and, and feeling that that's you know, one of those superpowers that you bring to the table. Uh, and I believe I saw you fairly active on Twitter asking about Web3 and DeFi. And I think these three things kind of come together pretty well. I'm curious if you have like a perspective on a lot of the you know, more recent investments in the Web3 space and, and uh, the kind of surge that that subsection of fintech has seen. Yeah, I mean, I think that space is seeing a lot of excitement and it's still early. But what I'm excited to you know, think through with founders, and I d- definitely don't claim to have the answers here, is just what are the ways in which decentralization allows us to build something better, whether that's leveraging you know, smart contracts or mechanisms that allow users to become owners. I think those are really powerful things. And I'm excited to see the next generation of companies built on top of that. I think another thing that's you know interesting is is leveraging you know decentralized networks or basically lever- ledgers for you know new ways to pay or new closed loop systems. And so there's a lot of companies kind of early stages, and I'm excited to see how that ends up playing out. Yeah, totally agree with you, especially with regards to the, to the payment space. Uh, potentially a lot of opportunity there for improvement, for less intermediation, uh, faster payments, you know, more money in the hands of people that are sending it and receiving it. So uh, exciting opportunities coming up for sure. But anyway, sorry for the tangent there. Um, maybe we can go back to your decision to join Bain Capital Ventures. Uh, you mentioned you had a relationship with them from your time with the firm, but I'm sure you had a relationship with a number of other uh, VCs. What specifically about the BCV team excited you so much? 
So I initially got to know BCB through a friend of mine from HBS, Merritt Hummer. Um, she's a partner here and she works on growth stage fintech. And Merritt is just an incredible investor and an even more amazing person. So that was a good start. And she introduced me to the team and I got to know Matt Harris really well. And then I got to know the rest of the partnership really well. And everything just clicked. And I just realized this was a really special group. And those opportunities where you feel like it's right don't happen that often um, with a partnership. And so I just built this conviction that this was this was the place for me. And, and one other thing that really attracted me to BCV is that they're very domain centric. And so for the areas that I'm passionate about, early stage fintech and commerce, it's really an amazing platform to be investing from between the deep institutional knowledge and access to the Bain Capital portfolio and being part of Bain Capital, which is a $130 billion asset management firm that really gives us a competitive advantage and deep access. Yeah, Matt was, uh, I remember hearing him talk during a uh, VC trek that we did here uh, at Wharton FinTech last year. uh, And he was obviously incredible to listen to. And then Candidly, if I hadn't reached out to you for this episode, I was going to reach out to Merit as well. So I'm mean, glad we got to make this work. But yeah, yeah, yeah I'm sure she'd be great as well. You could have her on too. Yeah. yeah, and Matt's amazing. He's just uh, been the most incredible, you know, person to work with. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk about your first few months at the firm. I think you're about two months in. I'm sure it still feels uh, like you're drinking out of the firehose a little bit, but maybe getting a little bit smoother. How are the first few months going? Um, Yeah, how do you feel about the job? It's gone great. I definitely feel like, I think you said this earlier, drinking from a fire hose is definitely what comes to mind. But I've been really, um, you know, trying to meet a ton of entrepreneurs and I've been keeping busy. The team is really collaborative, which is one of the things that everybody talks about, but has, I've really seen play out here. You know, my first week here, I went to Mexico City to meet with early stage founders. I worked on a seed stage deal with another partner here that um, that is stealth, but was just a really collaborative process. And, you know, I just feel like a student again, which I love. And I'm figuring out, you know, where to pattern match and where to keep an open mind. And it's, it's just really an incredible job. Speaking of, of Mexico City, I was there, I think, two weeks ago. As soon as I landed in the airport, I saw a giant billboard for Jeeves, uh, which is a company that we had on the show a few months ago. So I, I texted like Sherwin that uh, he was really happy to see it. And then later on that trip, I actually, when I was on that trip, the an episode with uh, Daniel Vogel of Bitso was released from our podcast. And then I saw Bitso being used while I was there. Um, so it's a really, really exciting place to, to go see FinTech in action. How'd you like the trip? I loved it. And so I, I, I just am really, I think more than anything, impressed by the quality of the founders and the entrepreneurs that are not only, you know, from the region, but are also coming because it's such a large opportunity. And so I think there's just an, an amazing opportunity in LATAM in general, because there's a small number of banks and they really only cater to the very wealthy And the sort of digital banking experience is still quite underdeveloped and inefficient, but yet everyone has a smartphone. So you sort of have a whole population that you can distribute products to. And the economy is still, you know, cash based in many ways. So the kind of combination of these 
profitable large banks only serving the wealthy people, plus some of the population dynamics and fintech friendly regulation. I just think we'll continue to see this explosion of innovation in fintech in LATAM. Uh, and we are spending a lot of time with companies there actively in, in looking for you know our next investment. And let's continue uh, zooming out a little bit. So I would love to hear some of your thoughts on overall investment trends that you're looking out for um, and anything that you're excited to see play out within fintech in the next, say, three to five years. We touched on Web3 briefly, but you know I'm really excited about companies being built on the intersection of fintech and commerce, you know, firm being an example of that. And I think this trend that has been around for the last five years of every company has or will become a fintech company, that will continue to play out as well. So I'm excited about people enabling new distribution mechanisms to get financial products into the hands of consumers, you know, leveraging unique data and, you know, building a moat around that data. And so people talk a lot about embedded fintech where you sort of come for the workflow and stay for the financial services. And we've seen this happen a lot with payments, but this is expanding to other verticals too, like lending and insurance, banking and investing. And so we're really excited about companies being built there. I think, you know, I'm always thinking about new payment networks, new ways to pay, you know, whether that's decentralized or closed loop systems, you know, BNPL was in some ways a new closed loop payment network. I think B2B payments is still quite broken. You know, people and businesses should get paid what their own on, owed on time. And that's still a hard problem, especially in new and growing parts of the economy, like freelancers or creators or cross-border workers. You know, you're seeing companies like Deal solving this really well for international payments. But I think that segment of of companies solving, you know, deep problems is really interesting. And then I'm still excited about consumer fintech, whether that's better ways to save and spend, you know, whether that's crypto base or fiat. And then I think just this trend of democratization of access to financial products. I'm excited about startups that can give individuals access to alternative assets, private markets, and just this this upside that has historically been reserved for a really small subset of the population. I almost don't want to ask this next question because you mentioned so many very exciting uh, areas of growth for fintech, but uh, I always do, which is, are there any sectors that maybe you're a little bit bearish on right now in fintech or to say it another way, sectors that would have a higher burden of proof for you if you were to invest in them? It's a great question, you know, and I don't know if there are whole sectors that are being overhyped, but one of the lessons that I learned from both GoFundMe and Affirm is thinking very thoughtfully about distribution and so I tend to get excited about startups that have a dif- differentiated you know, distribution angle. Yeah, I've certainly, I think there's been probably three or four founders that have come on the show that have said more than anything, more than like the importance of the data or our go-to-market strategy is how we're distributing our product. It's really a matter of like getting this into the hands of people as easily as possible. It's going to make us successful. So uh, interesting point that you also bring up. Um, very cool. There's one last thing I wanted to do in our conversation today, Christina, which is a rapid fire round of questions just to help the uh, listeners get to know you a little bit better. Hoping to get answers here in 10 seconds or less. Uh, are you ready to go? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Um, could you describe for me your ideal day? So ideally, I'd wake up, go for a long run, maybe also a swim or a mm-hmm. hike. I would read something interesting that I don't normally read about. So maybe like a biography of of an amazing person. 
And then I would eat a big meal with my husband and friends, probably sushi because that's my favorite. And then ideally, all of this would happen on the big island of Hawaii. <laughs> I did not see the Hawaii part coming. All right. Next question. Uh, do you have any hidden talents? I hesitate to call this a talent, but I secretly love drawing and painting. There's actually, you know, various sketches of Diet Coke cans lining my desk. Why, why Diet Coke cans? You know, because I, I drink a lot of Diet Coke and then uh, <laughs> yeah. I end up drawing them in my free time. Yeah, slightly easier than drawing a hand, maybe. At least I, I've heard. Yeah. I'm definitely not talented at drawing. Um, what was your dream job when you were a kid? So I wanted to be a cooking show host. Uh, my best friend Celia and I actually pitched a cooking show for kids to a TV network when we were 14. We put together this whole concept, including a pitch presentation and a photo shoot. You know, I grew up in L.A., so that that somehow felt normal. You know, needless to say, it did not get picked up. But um, I think we were on to something. I think you were on to something. I'm, I'm picturing like a 14 year old Christina going on Shark Tank and for some reason getting a no. That sounds like a great idea. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what could have been? Uh, next question is, do you have a most prized possession? I know this isn't a possession, but I'm going to have to say my son, Theo, who is a year and a half now, and he is just the joy of my life. So nothing else I could say even comes close. Yeah, that's that's the perfect answer for sure. And last question for you. Uh, what does success look like for you uh, in this new role? And feel free to take a little bit longer on this one. Yeah. So, you know, I was going to say this is an easy one. I, I think it's really just to back great founders and partner with them from day one. And that's what success looks like. Yeah, that that's incredible. So, uh, you know, you heard it here. If you are a founder, try and go from zero to one. Uh, we've got a fantastic new partner for you to reach out to with Christina. Uh, and Christina, I think that's probably a pretty good place for us to wrap up today's session. But thank you so much for joining us on the show. Uh, and good luck with your uh, latest uh, career change. Thank you so much. And thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Wharton FinTech Podcast. If you like the show, please consider leaving us a review or letting us know in the comments. It means a lot and helps spread the word to more listeners. If you want more content from our FinTech community, please subscribe to our podcast channel and find us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Medium, and Twitter at Wharton FinTech. There you will find interviews, articles, videos, and much more analyzing all aspects of the industry. I would also like to thank our editor, Raphael Austria, for his incredible work on our episodes. Signing off, I'm your host, Anirudh Singh.